Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am really stoked about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Lindsay Ostrom from Pinch of Yum, and we're going to explore how to create short, snackable videos on Instagram and Facebook, the kind that get shared, that often go viral. You're going to find this absolutely fascinating. By the way, if you want to reach me, email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. Let's transition over to this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. This week I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What would you find, Eric? I found a really cool image manipulation app called Plotograph. Plotograph. Okay, tell me more. Well, I know you've seen this because you've seen our friend Ray Edwards create a really cool motion still image with this. And I know a lot of people are out there and they're thinking, yeah, I know how to do that. You take like a still image and then you select a certain amount that you mask over and make that stay still while this one person's moving or this one thing is moving in the picture. This is similar, but it's almost like CGI or magic <laughs> on these effects. And so, Oh yeah. But let me explain in words what I saw. So yeah. I saw a friend of mine who had climbed to the top of a mountain peak, like in Asia and took a picture of the night sky with a waterfall and it was a still shot. But the one exception was that the little waterfall in the middle of it and the sky above it was kind of moving almost in a loop, but everything else was still, it almost seemed like something surreal to look at because it was, it was, it was almost like a animated GIF meets a beautiful photograph. And it's shocking when you see it, it's unlike pretty much anything you would ever see. And it looked gorgeous. And I said, Hey, how did you do this? And he said, Plotograph. So keep going. Yeah. So, and and I should disclaimer this that most of the time when you've seen these in the past that aren't as quote magical, it's a video and you're just choosing a section of the video to hold still while other portions move. This is different in that it's a still image to begin with. And then what you do is you do still mask over certain portions of the image, but then you can also tell it, okay, take this section of that image that I've masked and keep it still. And then this other section, I want you to move it and make it appear to move from this ac- this section to this other section. So it's almost like you draw lines oh. on it, either on your phone or on the web. It's also a, it's a web app and an, uh, an iPhone app. And you, you know, you put your endpoints and then you 
move with your finger or your mouse the arrows of what you want to move in what direction. And and honestly, it's got some sort of CGI magical effectness to it that I mean it really does when you're looking at the examples on the site. It kind of blows your mind. It's like I mean it's eye catching. It 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 is So it's fact, not actually capturing anything but a still image, but it's somehow enhancing the elements of the still image. Is that what I hear you saying? That that's exactly it. So in that photo uh, that photo that you were talking about, it was never a video and there was never any motion in the video. It wow. was added in post. It, it's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. the, the best way to describe this uh, over audio is you got to go to their website and look at it. Um, how much does this thing cost and what kind of devices do you need to use this? Yeah. So the website is free. You literally can join for free. And the app uh, is also a free app. There's upgrades in there for, you know, like in-app purchases and that kind of a thing. But uh, yeah, you can try it out for free and you can go look at the examples for free. And the website is plotographs.com. I'll spell that for you. It's P-L-O-T-A-G-R-A-P-H-S.com. Plot A graphs. So do you upload your image to the website and it enhances it? Or is this an app that lives on your phone? Uh, it, it's both. It's okay. both. Oh, so do, you, website, do you have to use the app to actually uh, capture the image? Do you know? No, you can. So in, in, in both forms, in the website as well as the mobile app, you can upload video or sorry, you can upload images or well, on the, on, the, on the web, you'd have to upload images. You can't take images with a website. But you, with a phone, you can take stuff inside of it and then work with it there. Have you messed with this yet? Yeah. it's. <laughs> I mean, I'm not as creative as I'd like to be, but I'm playing with it, and it, it's pretty awesome. Is the output a movie? Is that the idea? Yeah. Got it. Yeah, folks, this is really, really, really cool stuff. So you got to check it out. Uh, plot, plotographs.com. Awesome. Fine, Eric. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's now transition over to this week's brand new interview with Lindsay Ostrom. To help simplify your social safari, here's this week's special guest. This week, I'm excited to be joined by Lindsay Ostrom. If you don't know who Lindsay is, she's the founder of pinchofyum.com, author of the Tasty Food Photography ebook, and she also co-founded Food Blogger Pro, a membership site for developing and monetizing your food content. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. I'm glad to be here. 
So today we're going to explore how to create short, consumable, dare I say, snackable videos for Instagram and Facebook. And um, these are videos that often work without audio and are highly shareable. And we're going to kind of get, you know, unravel why these things work, how Lindsay and her team creates them. Lindsay, before we go down that trail, I just want to ask you about your story. Like, how did you get into food blogging? Yeah, that's a great question. It's ne- definitely not the the uh, job description that you expect to give when you introduce yourself. I'm a food blogger. I'm Lindsay and I'm a food blogger. So um, I started as a teacher. I was an elementary school teacher. I taught fourth grade and I thought I was going to be doing that for the rest of my life. I loved it. Um, but I also, while I was teaching, I, you know, would come home from school and loved to make recipes and try different things in the kitchen. And so I started this food blog that was in my mind, just kind of a hobby, just something for fun for my nights and weekends. And, um, as I got into it, I started to find that I not only enjoyed the food side of it, but I also enjoyed like the game of it. Mm. So like seeing how many followers I could get and how many people I could get to comment and even, you know, digging into analytics when it's, when you're like in the really early stage of, Oh my gosh, I have 10 people on my blog today. Like this is so amazing. And what year was Um, that? That was 2010 when we started. Perfect. So, yep. So I've been doing this for seven years now. And um, at that time, it was really, it was just like purely for fun. And I kind of thought, you know, if this could be like just a for fun thing, and even if we put ads on the site and I could make like $100 a month, that would be amazing. And probably a year after I started, um, we had seen traffic kind of continue to pick up. And there was a um, there was a user on Pinterest who was actually this is like random detail, but she was the founder of Pinterest mother or one of the founders of Pinterest mother. Jane Wang is her name, and she pinned one of my recipes and. She had a ton of followers at the time. She was like one of the most followed accounts on Pinterest. And that for me, like spiked this new little phase of growth with my blog that led to eventually where I am today, which is I'm doing this full time. This is um, my job. It's my husband's job. We have a team of five people for Pinch of Yum. um, And we both, you know, have like left our day jobs and are just doing this food blogging game now as a full time career, which is so strange and so much fun. I love it. So when you when this gal, this is back when 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 Pinterest was driving enormous amounts of traffic to blogs, right? So this must have been like literally like overnight sensation kind of experience. Were you shocked when this happened? With- well, the funny thing is, so this is the funny slash embarrassing thing about the story. So at the time we were so new and like so, you know, clueless, I guess you could say. Um, we were looking at analytics and I think we had seen like, wow, look at this big spike. Um, and my husband actually was talking about some of the analytics and some of the things we were doing for the business side of my blog on the blog. So he would come on and do these reports and say like, Hey, here's how much we've grown. Here's how much money we're making from these ads. And someone in the comment section of one of those posts said, what is that huge spike in traffic from? And we were like, actually, that's a great question. We should go figure it out and figured out that it was coming from this one specific pin from Jane Wang on Pinterest. So it was an overnight success, but we didn't know necessarily at the time that that's what was happening. And maybe overnight success is a little bit. Well, it brought um, you. It, it kind of it but, kind of grew quite significantly, yes. and then now you're much bigger, obviously. Um, yes, I just feel like that was for us like a lucky break that really like led us into you know led us down this path. 
Right. Um, but it was an important first first step. So thank you, Jane Wang, if you ever listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Now, what kind of stuff are you, what kind of content are you producing on the blog now? So um, the majority of the content is and always has been and probably always will be um, food and recipes. So I view it as like I post what I'm eating and the blog posts take I would say they take like a recipe format um, to them where there's several pictures of the recipe and we post like the text version of the recipe itself. And these days we're posting videos in the blog post as well. But there's also a personal side to the blog, more so with my blog than maybe other food blogs. That's just something that I always liked about blogging from the beginning. So there is a lifestyle element to what I share and what I post about and um, if we have something significant happen in our lives, we'll talk about that on the blog and um, maybe not even in a recipe post. So I would say like once or twice a month, I'm posting something that's not a recipe. It's just something about my life. Um, and then the rest of the content is food content with our own personal stories kind of woven into that. Awesome. And just to give someone, some people some perspective of the public data, um, they've got on um, Pinterest, about 124,000 followers. On Facebook, 270,000. And on Instagram, 466,000. Pretty impressive. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And those are just the first couple that came up in a quick search. So um, that's awesome story. So um, let's get into the video side of this, okay? So um, you are creating these snackable video, snackable short videos. I don't know how else to describe them. Um, specifically for Instagram and Facebook, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, kind of describe what these videos are and what they do and maybe how they're different than the kind of stuff you might be producing on YouTube. Yeah. So a lot of people are probably familiar with um, like if I say tasty style video and tasty really deserves a lot of the credit for kind of popularizing this style of food video. But the style would be, I would say 60 seconds, uh, maybe a little more, maybe a little less 60 second kind of video that's shot without people in it necessarily. It's not someone on camera talking. Um, it's not like a cooking show format. It's more of like it's almost like a bridge between a photo of a recipe and a full-blown cooking show. Is like if you could come up with something in the middle, it would be these little 60-second short um, hands-only videos. And a lot of times they're shot from like an overhead angle, so they really show um, they show what's happening in the cooking process from more of a first-person perspective as opposed to a cooking show where you watch someone else do it. The idea with these videos is, at least how we try to create them, is to make people feel like they could be in the shoes of the person cooking. And we even angle them so that the hands would be where the viewer's hands would be. Um, and really giving people kind of an intimate but also quick look at how a recipe works and why certain ingredients work together. And I would say, like, in terms of the difference between that type of a video and YouTube style uh, food video or just video in general, but if we think specifically about food, it's maybe the difference between um, like how do you cook, how do you grill a steak, which would be like a YouTube style, right. con, you know, topic or video where it'd be you're like saying, five minutes long or something. right? Yeah. And someone's talking and they're saying, Hey, here's how to choose the best cuts of steak. And here are the temperatures to use. And here are all the different specifics, it's like a deep dive. Whereas the video content that we're producing 
is saying, here's just a good idea for what to do with your steak or how to cook your steak or just in a quick snapshot, like you should make this for dinner tonight. Um, and that is, I would say the main difference is the, the, the way that information is given and the way that people consume it, which is a lot quicker and, um, more focused on like tips and tricks as opposed to deep, you know, deep level of knowledge about a certain topic related to food. Now, it's almost like a visual recipe done in like a minute and the, um, they often have, um, type on them, right? Don't they like, like they might say like uh, step one, step two kind of a thing, or do they sometimes never have any text over the top of the video at all? Yeah, ours have text on them, and usually we don't put specific amounts uh, because we don't want to bog it down too much. And the reality is they're moving so fast that people can't really read a ton of detail on on each of the frames anyways. But we will label ingredients as they go in. So, for example, we'll say, um, you know, if you're putting a bunch of ingredients in the blender, we'll say banana and then, you know, orange juice and, and label each of those on the screen um, so there is a text element in a lot of the videos and for sure in ours, it's almost all of our videos have a little bit of text. Okay. Um, why, do, first of all, help us understand when you upload one of these videos, what's the, what do you, what, what, now that you have a decent size following, what do you expect as a good number of views on these videos? Like what, just so people can understand what we're talking about here. Yeah. So for Instagram, our average over the last, like, five to six months is somewhere above 200,000 views per wow. video. Wow. And that's our, I would say that's our strongest platform. That's where we get the most immediate. That's almost half of your fans. Views. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. We have a really, I'm so super proud of our little Instagram account because we have such a high engagement rate um, with, in terms of people viewing and people sharing and commenting and um, even saving now you can save those uh, recipe videos on Instagram. And then Facebook is less. Facebook is anywhere between 25 and 50,000 views when we post the recipe. And YouTube is even less than that, which would make sense because our videos aren't necessarily optimized for consumption on YouTube. They don't really fit the format. Um, but I would say like, as soon as we post, we get maybe a thousand views on a video. And then usually what we see with YouTube is that as those, as time goes on, that's when we start to accumulate views and that's tied more to the blog post itself that where we're embedding from YouTube and or search on YouTube, which has more of a long tail effect. But the Instagram videos, it's almost instantaneous that we can hit, um, I would say for sure minimum of a hundred thousand, but our average is more like 200,000 views, uh, within the first, you know, two days after posting. And I would imagine with Facebook, because it, you probably have a couple that have gone viral, right? Because, because yeah. of the share side, right? So do you have somewhere you've gotten as much as a million views on some of them? Yes, we do. And like a, like pretty, a bread. Yeah. That has um, over a million views. That's pretty crazy. So um, do these work for, uh, for, I want to get into two sides. First of all, why do these things work? And secondly, do, do you have to be a food blogger for this to work or can it be worked? Can it be used in other types of, you know, situations? Um, feel free to start with either why they work or how they could be used in other situations, wherever you want to start. Yeah, I think, so when I think about why they work, um, I think it has to do with our brains and, you know, there's the, the, saying that a lot of people come back to time and time again, that your brain processes images 60,000 times faster than it can process text. And I think the same thing, but to an even greater degree is true with video because video is just image after image after image put together. Um, 
And I think communication is really like at the heart of it. So when I try to communicate a good idea, valuable information, and in my case is recipes most of the time. Um, but when I try to communicate that to people, the fastest and most efficient, and I would say most enjoyable potentially way for them to consume that is through the form of video. And I think that's, in my opinion, that's why they work. It's because um, our brains, it, it matches up with how our brains want to process information. Like our brains can see it and understand it in an instant, as opposed to the amount of work it takes to read the steps of a recipe and understand. And you can even like think of this as an example. Like if I go to a blog post or a recipe or a cookbook and I try to read something, I really have to like, sometimes I even have to read it out loud in order to really envision what's happening with the recipe. Whereas with these 60 second videos, you can go and within a minute, you sometimes even less than a minute, you can understand the gist of the recipe um, without needing to work as hard. So it's our brain's best way of communication and understanding information. Um, and I always, that's the thing that I always come back to is, and actually maybe with my background as a teacher too, that's especially of interest to me is like, how do I not only create a good recipe, but how do I make that um, approachable for people or cons the most consumable possible for them to understand what it's all about? So I think that's why they yeah. Why they and if I could just add a couple more um, thoughts on this. Yeah. First of all, we have autoplay, right, on both of these platforms, and typically the sound is off. And because these videos don't need audio right are they probably do you put music track in the background or what do you we do, do we do but i don't know that many people um actually um, listen to the music yeah. i think most of them are just watching yeah so so first of all they work because they don't need audio right with the talking head you have to unmute the audio to listen to the voice right so mm -hmm. this is like a big advantage it's like this is like a, a you know a slideshow or an animated gif concept right the fact is it just plays it just works and it's shareable because they're cool, they're neat, um, which I think is also very cool. And I would imagine in your case, especially on Facebook, it's going to drive some traffic to your blog post, which has the full recipe, right? Because you mentioned in these videos, you're not actually saying how many quantities. So if they want that recipe, they're going to click. Are you finding that happens? Yeah, definitely. But I think also, I think it's more true with Facebook um, the thing that's been really interesting with Instagram is we've monitored pretty closely, you know, the links on the clickovers from each of the recipes. And that isn't a native behavior within Instagram. Like that's not what people on Instagram want to do. People right. on Facebook, it's more click friendly. They might be sharing a news article or, you know, a link to a blog post that they like. And that fits the user behavior uh, more naturally on Facebook. But on Instagram, it doesn't as much. So actually, my approach with that on Instagram is um, is more focused on just creating as much value as I can within that platform. And you'll see on a lot of my recipe videos, this is kind of going down a different rabbit trail, but on a lot of those recipe videos, I will I will include the amounts in the caption or I'll put it on my, my stories, my Instagram stories, so that people don't have to leave. And the idea with that is, as opposed to asking people to jump to, even though it's free content, you're still asking them to jump to your blog. And I've found it to be super successful to give as much value as I can right on the platform. And then in terms of thinking about it from a business perspective and monetizing, 
that obviously the more attention we have on our channel, then the more brands want to pay to be in front of those people right. and um, to be you know a part of that conversation. So that's been kind of a shift that I've taken over the last year. Um, so you're, you're, you're monetizing Instagram as an, as a paid influencer for some of these, you know, um, uh, you know, craft or whoever. Right. And, and because yes. you have a good following, you can create a recipe specifically using their ingredients that can get them a lot of exposure. And that can, that's just an alternative path to monetization for you is what I hear you saying. Yes. And we, that's been a, I would say even in this last year, that's been like a pretty significant shift where we used to do most of our sponsored content through the blog. And then, you know, maybe above and beyond, we would create a video for Instagram. But as our Instagram uh, following has grown and the engagement that's happening there has grown, we have brands now that come to us solely for an Instagram post. So there's, there are videos and recipes that we develop that never even see the blog. They're only going on Instagram because they're a specific thing with a specific brand. Um, so that it's kind of become, it's developed almost into its own mini pillar, not quite as significant as what we have going with the blog, but definitely a huge part of our, of our business model. Um, okay. So I, I would imagine anything that is a process could be created into a 60 second film. Couldn't it? I mean, I'm calling it a film, but a video, right? I mean, does, I know the food industry is obviously a big, these are a big deal, but have you ever seen them used in any other space? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially things I, it's hard to say outside of, uh, the things that are most popular that are obviously recipes, but then even like craft fashion, um, home related things. I've seen a lot of videos gardening, yeah. Anything where I think anything where you can you have an idea that you want to communicate that basically says, here's a good idea and you should do it. Mm-hmm. That is what fits really well with this format of video. Even it's makeup, not, I would imagine, too. Right. Yes, Before and after. Yes. That's another great example. Um, or like these. Uh, another great example is the lettering, like brush lettering. A lot of people um, will do kind of calligraphy style videos. And right. this is one personally that I follow a lot. But they do these. Um, kind of hyperspeed videos similar to the food ones and they're just writing something out and they're showing you their beautiful calligraphy and in that case it's not even like a tip or a trick it's just here's this fun process that's really nice to watch Uh, but in general I would say we really really look for that hook or like that the virality piece has to be based around this concept of this is a really good idea and you should try it and that's what translates something, whether a recipe or otherwise, right. <clears throat> translates it really well to a short form video. And I would imagine, you know, uh, uh, a room makeover, you know, would also work like you, I could see filming, uh, you know, time lapse kind of thing showing like the redesign of a, of a wall or art or yeah, anything that's kind of taking something and making it into something new, right. Or taking something and making it into something different. Like I can even imagine like at social media marketing world showing, you know, in a 60 second video, all these trucks and stuff, setting the production stages up and all that in a really short kind of going from a concrete floor with nothing to a really killer looking stage setup. I mean, I'm just thinking outside the box a little bit, but probably whatever your mind can imagine. So, um, let's talk about like, first of all, how often do you publish these types of videos, uh, every day, multiple times a day? And how long does it take to make one of them? Yeah, we're producing about three to five videos a week. 
<clears throat> and that's with two, um, we have a full-time video specialist that does all the recording. And then we have a shoot assistant who does all of the cooking. So I actually do the recipe development, but I'm not a part of the videos themselves, the video process within itself. They are, um, they're doing that and they're recording, I think two days a week and then kind of editing and doing other pickup shots and stuff on the other. What um, about before you had all these, all this help? I'm assuming you started doing them yourself or did you always have professionals helping you? I did start doing them myself and they were really scrappy at the beginning. But um, that brings up an interesting point, which is because I think a lot of people feel like I can't create videos. I don't have a team. I'm not ready to hire someone. But probably everyone listening to this podcast has a smartphone in their pocket and smartphones are amazing for producing videos. And I would say I was kind of thinking about this um, before we before we jumped on the call and I was thinking just about the importance of the content itself. And if you have something that's really valuable to people, I would say the format is on the 10 to 20 to 30% importance, whereas the content itself is on the 70 to 80 to 90% importance. Right. Um, we, have a, we have a chocolate chip cookie video that I did that I recorded on my phone and edited on my phone by myself. I did it all in about maybe three hours. Um, I was able to get this little scrappy little recipe video produced and I put it in my blog post and I uploaded it to YouTube and I just went and looked at my YouTube stats the other day and it has like half a million views from this tiny little video that I, you know, 60 second phone video that I put together on a total whim. And I think it has to do more in that case with the content right. than the format of the video itself. So obviously a really polished format is great, but I think if you have good content at the heart of your videos, um, then even just pulling out your phone and shooting a video and editing something with whatever you're familiar with and comfortable with, a, a video, in my opinion, is better than no video, even if it's one that's just done on your phone. Well, what I would love to do is I would love to kind of assume that the people that are listening right now are going to experiment with um, doing this with their smartphone. So let's just assume for the rest of the dialogue here that, that some people are going to say it. All right, uh, Lindsay, you persuaded me. I'm going to give this a shot. So um, you already talked about the, the you know, you, you, the phone is all you need. But what else do you need? Because like, I would imagine there's more to this equation of filming these things than just the phone itself. So what's some of the basic equipment that would help maybe make these um, more stable or look a little better? What, what are the basics that you think we need? Yeah, so with I would take two approaches with it. If you're going to go the route of let's just use what's in your pocket, which is a smartphone, um, I how I produce and record videos on my smartphone um, basically involves recording with the just with the built-in camera and video, obviously, and then I will use a program called Reflector. This wouldn't be, this would depend on like the type of content that you're recording, but when you're recording an overhead food video or any type of an overhead video, it can be really hard to see because you have your, um, you have your phone on a tripod or you even, I've even had it stacked up on books before. Um, you have it at an angle where it's hard for you to actually see what's on the screen. Hmm. Um, you're, you, know, you can kind of imagine you're like bending your head underneath to try to 
to try to see what I'm is totally actually totally imagining recorded. that. And then, of course, yes. you get some flower in your hair or something, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so Reflector is really nice because it basically mirrors what is going on on your phone to your computer. And I will just set up my laptop um, off to the side, and I will turn Reflector on. So it's basically mirroring for me what is cool. happening on my phone, but I can see it sitting across from me on my computer. And that is super helpful. Um, and then iMovie is the basic editing software on the phone that I've used. And it has really, really, really basic um, editing tools. But I've found that for that overhead quick style, it's enough because mostly what you need is cutting the tool of like splicing clips and then also um, adjusting the speed because a lot of times these short videos are in some way sped up. And you can control and adjust both of those things within iMovie. That being said, if you wanted to go above and beyond the phone, um, we use a um, we have a couple of different Canon DSLR cameras that we use for recordings. We have like a 5D Mark IV and a 7D, and then we use um, both a wider angle lens for that overhead shot, and then a more of a telephoto like closer up lens, macro style lens for the side angle. To get some of, so we have two angles going when we're using, you know, doing our like full ah, setup. Got it. And by the way, folks, just so yep. you know, you can get little clip-on lenses that go on your iPhone or whatever to give you that kind of look. You know what I mean? There's yes. a, there's little cheap little things that you can literally just attach right over the camera on your phone that are either wide angle or telephoto, which is kind of cool. But I love the fact that you're using two different cameras at once. And and if somebody, like you said, wanted to get scrappy, they could probably grab another iPhone, right? Or an iPad yeah. or something, and they could have two different devices um, filming. Now, what's the advantage to having those two different angles? How do you guys mix that up when you're editing? Yeah, we look for kind of the overall scope and scene of the table or the kitchen to be shown from that overhead angle. And I would say maybe 75% of the video footage that goes into a finished video is from the overhead angle. Um, but there are certain beauty shots, we might call them, um, of the food that kind of, you know, a sauce going over the top of something or um, a big bite of noodles being pulled out with chopsticks or something like that. And those for those type of shots, that super close up side angle shot helps to feel a little bit more um, involved with the food and like you get a better sense of what the food will actually be like as opposed to just looking at it from the top. I think the top works better for the method or the process, but if you really want to get detailed, um, getting in at a different side angle mm. can be... And I would imagine you could, you could use the same camera and you just take all the top shots and you, take, you just have to be strategic in the order of things, right? So you could, yes. use, you could use the same camera to get those side shots when you show the ingredients and when you show the finished product, right? And then you could put that same camera on that tripod. Now, one of the things that I'm curious about is, do you need a special tripod pod to go straight down on top of something? Because it is almost straight down with a lot of this stuff, isn't it? It is. And that is, um, it's like kind of the bane of our existence. And I think it's really? true for a lot of food <laughs> photographers. We were like our offices in an old studio, um, an old build, warehouse building that's been re, you know, refurnished and it's really nice, but it's also still really old. 
cold and the floors shake a lot. And so we're always dealing with, um, you know, trying to get everything stable because that tripod in particular is so finicky. But we have a kind of a just a regular tripod setup and then a different arm that attaches to the top that allows us to have it pointing straight down. Um, there are a lot of different ways that you can set that up, but the, that's the way that we've done it and have have that, that bar coming out short like it's a short enough um, distance there that it's not going to keep sagging down. If that makes sense. Yeah. And a lot of times we actually do this, and a lot of people that I know will do this will put a bag of rice or some heavy thing on the other side of that of that horizontal oh, to bar in order to yeah. yep in order to keep things balanced out. Um, it's it's a tricky setup. Well, um, and you also have to be careful to not have anybody nudge the tripod, right? Because it's going to mess up everything, right? Because you're trying, if I, I'm visualizing this like um, a square that you're filming, that is essentially, you want that to not move during the process of cooking the food, right? So you have to be super careful not to have anybody bump up against it or touch it. Like if you had a dog running around, it probably wouldn't be a good idea during filming, right? Yes. And even like with what I was saying before with being in this old studio, like if I walk over to that table when they're filming, they're like, stop, 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 don't come any closer, you know, because it jiggles just a little bit. And then that can be really hard to remove that shake um, after the fact. What about lights? Because I know that's a big deal. Like what are we, what are you using for lights or what would you recommend for someone just getting started with lights? I would recommend a window. I know that's maybe um, a surprise to a lot of people, but we don't use any light setup. We just use natural light. We use every every light and really? all the light in our videos is coming from windows. Yep. You probably have to be careful what time of the day you're filming then, right? Because if you're yes. filming during sunset, then that shadow, those shadows are going to change during the yes. during the shoot, right? Do you find and- certain times of the day are better? Yep, definitely. And it's and different, uh, you know, types of day like today, it's pretty sunny. But if it's a, it's usually it's okay, if it's sunny, it's okay, if it's cloudy, if it's a partly sunny day is when it gets kind of tricky, because then the sun is coming out and then going behind is changing a lot. Right. Um, but that was an intentional decision that we made. And that has more to do with, I would say that's not necessarily because it's what's easiest. That's not why we chose to do that. It's more about that's what fits our style. It's a and natural I really look, wanted, right? It's a- yeah, and I, I really wanted to have kind of that continuity from my photography to the videos, even though I'm not producing the videos. I wanted them to feel like the same, like they have the same branded style. Right. And I felt like natural light helped with that. I didn't want it to look like studio light. I wanted it to look like this is, you know, in someone's sunny kitchen. It's not necessarily in some random studio somewhere inside a big light box. So we do keep some shadows. We do allow for some variation in the light, um, which, and a benefit of that is that we don't need any equipment for that. Um, we have lights. We just hardly ever use them. We 99% of the time are going with natural light. Um, if someone did need some lighting, what would you recommend? Because I would imagine most situations are not going to be, you know, if they're near the window, are are you guys literally right next to a window or, I mean, I would imagine you got to be pretty close, right? Because you're looking... Yeah. yeah, we're right next to a window. And we have a lot of windows in our studio, too, which right. helps. So we get a lot of kind of ambient light around. I would say um, it's hard for me to say like a, more of a bigger scene right. video because we don't do a ton of that. But for tabletop videos, um, I have a couple of tabletop lights that I really like. They're called Lowell. That's the brand. 
um, L-O-W-E-L, and they have uh, bulbs in them that are daylight balanced, it's called. So basically, when you turn them on, they're not going to look yellowy or right. blue and you're, make everything look unnatural. They, they are supposed to simulate natural light. And I do use those occasionally um, for my photography or for video and um, you know, when we're in a, in a bind with the weather or something like that with the, with the sun and they work, um, they work in a pinch, but in general, we, we try to keep to natural light as much as we can. When you're capturing these videos, I would imagine the general rule of thumb is to capture a little more than you need because you can always edit it out. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. I think if people looked at, if they saw how many times we do the the noodle pull with the chopsticks at the end, they would be like amazed. And the same could be said about photography, but especially for video, we're going back and we're you know getting all the noodles just right, and then trying it again and pulling it out. Or um, another thing would be like we'll often go back and say, uh, this step of the recipe didn't look quite quite right. So tomorrow, let's remake it, and we'll just film that portion of the video again. So we don't have to redo the whole thing completely, but just that one segment, um, needs to be reshot. And then just making sure everything matches in terms of, um, the time of day we're shooting so that the lighting matches and the props and whoever's hands are in the video should be the same person as it was the day before. And all of those, all of those detail things become pretty important. Wow. So sometimes you're just filming the same thing over two days. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Now, um, we, let's say we've okay we've followed the the Lindsay formula <laughs> we've got all of our raw video here um but we have to figure out how to get it down to 60 seconds you got any tips I would say you need less footage than you think. Uh, people don't need to necessarily see every if it's a process based video people don't necessarily need to see every step of the process. For example, if they see an apple cut up, they will understand that you cut it up. They don't necessarily need to see it being cutting unless you cut it in a special way. Mm. Or if you're assembling, you know, same could be true about a, a craft related thing or a gardening related thing. Um, so don't feel like you need to show every exact thing in the process. Um, and then I would also say just speed it up. People can, uh, people can like process information very quickly and you don't want to go so fast that it's like making people dizzy when they watch it. Um, but definitely you can cram a lot of action into one minute because of just, you know, speeding up the actual, like the, the, um, speed of the video, like the, how, how quickly is playing right. is at one time speed, two times, 10 times, whatever. We're usually probably somewhere between, um, maybe two times speed and four times speed. So do you ever slow it down? Like at the very end when you're pulling yeah. the noodles out? Yes. For those kind of beauty shops, it would be the shots where we start to lean into more of a slow, like the slow drip of sauce down the side of a, you know, muffin or something like that, the frosting coming down the side of a cake or something. Um, and it has more of that drama, emotional effect. Are you thinking about like a storyline when you're actually doing this? And if so, is there like a literally a beginning, middle and end? I mean, is there some sort of formulaic, like I would imagine it's not like YouTube where you would introduce like your brand in there. I would imagine it's it's either just a little tiny logo on the bottom or it's not in there at all. Is that is that fair? Yeah, our logo goes into the end. So there's really not that much that happens um, from that perspective, like the storytelling of our brand necessarily. 
Um, but I would say that for every recipe, this happens for our, our video specialist, Alana, she does a lot of this, um, for every recipe video. But in the beginning it was like, we would meet about it and we would write it out and we would say, okay, we're going to start with this shot and then move on to this shot. And here's how we're going to transition from the bowl to the pan and all of those different details. And now I think for all of us, it's become second nature. And we just, that's just how we think unless every once in a while we have like a bigger, um, project. We're doing one that's coming up. That's like uh, lunch for every day of the week. So it's like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday sandwiches, one for each day. And then that requires a little more thinking in terms of the story. Like what story are we trying to tell with this? Even though it's a process video, we want it to feel like here's the first day of the week and here's the second. And um, to have a general message that comes across. And sometimes those require a little additional thinking. Um, but I, the, something I just heard actually on one of your other podcasts, um, was talking, it was someone talking about video and like a hook and those first few seconds and the purple cow being really important and right. the idea of something interesting or different. And I think that still applies even when we're talking about like a pretty straightforward food video or craft video or a how to, um, some of our most popular recipe videos they might not start with the first step of the recipe. They might start with whatever's most interesting to watch. Huh. So we had this this one that I think of as this um, cake where I frosted it. It was a chocolate cake, and I put the frosting on the outside and then rolled the cake in chocolate chips to get them to stick to the whole outside. And the making of the cake itself was not that interesting. And I think if we would have started with measuring the cake ingredients, we would have lost a lot of people right there. But we chose to start the video with the shot of this huge chocolate cake literally rolling into a pan of chocolate chips. And I think that, and then that video. Obviously and then did you back up to the beginning part of the process? Yes. Ah, so it's okay. kind of like a little hook Like a preview, teaser, right? Like, yes, yeah. a preview. Like, here's what's coming. And we find that the shorter that we keep that, I mean, you know, obviously you want it long enough that people can like see it and kind of understand what it is, but you almost want to cut people off. Like you almost want to leave them going like, wait, what was that? I want to know more about that, right. which would be the definition of a hook. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting to hear um, him talk about that in the podcast because it's been really, I know that's been really true for us, even as we think about something as standard as food and recipe videos. Awesome. Um, what about, is there some sort of call to action ever at the end of the video, like share this on Facebook or whatever, or do you just typically just keep it, just just literally end the video? Like how do we end these things? I changed, we changed our the ending frame of our videos to say, instead of just saying our URL, pinchofyum.com, we changed it to say, follow Pinch of Yum for more recipes. Uh, and the idea with that, that's specific for Instagram, but the idea with that is that you might have people viewing the video that aren't your followers. Like a lot of times our videos get featured on a popular page somewhere or in people's discover um, on the discover panel for people. So they're, they're not a follower, but we want them to get to the end of that video and say like, Whoa, that looks really good. And then here's where I can go for more of that. Perfect. And it kind of speaks to what I was talking about before uh, the difference between asking people to jump to the website as opposed to just come here and follow and we'll give you the free information, the free, you know, valuable content right here on the platform. Wow. Well, I know some people are like, don't stop, keep going. But <laughs> <laughs> this has been like a snackable, long, awesome, you know, now people have to go to our, our, our blog post and view some of these because we'll hopefully we'll be able to embed a couple of them so they can see all this yeah, great work that Lindsay's that. doing. Yeah. Um, Lindsay, tell everybody where they can discover more about you and all, all the awesome stuff that you've got going on. 
Yeah, well, if you want to watch some food videos, this is kind of like my main place is um, on Instagram. And we're just at Pinch of Yum on Instagram. So you can come there and check out some of the videos that we're doing. And if you want, if you're interested in more of the behind the scenes type stuff about how videos are produced or just how we run our blog and business in general, um, we have a membership website called Food Blogger Pro. And that's run by my husband Bjork and I and a wonderful team of people. And so that the URL is just foodbloggerpro.com. And that's a, a great place to go if you're looking for more on the informational side of things. Awesome. Lindsay Ostrom, founder of pinchofyum.com. Thank you so much for sharing all this awesome insight and wisdom with us. Yes. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate being on. Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's interview. If there was anything we mentioned that you missed, and there probably was, you can find all those notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 270. Hit that subscribe button on your podcast player so you never miss a future episode. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.